Gary. And I'm going to get you to do something for me, Tanner. I'm going to get you to kill this mic and go back to the worship mic. All right. Um, my theory is that this mic, there's something about it that just makes your voice sound beautiful. <laughs> and so I'm going to use this one today because there's a little feedback in our pulpit mic, and I'm going to have a beautiful voice for the sermon. Thank y'all so much for all that talent you shared with us today. And so today we will be in our final sermon uh, looking at Ezekiel. Um, this has been a fun one. Now, Ezekiel is a kind of a tough uh, book to get into because there's a lot of judgment. There is a lot of anguish. There are some crazy sign actions. There's all kind of crazy stuff that goes along with the story of Ezekiel. Um, I've been generous to you. I've kind of picked some of the highlights to where there's more hope than, than not. But if you're reading the book in its entirety, you know that it is kind of a dark book of the Bible. There is more wrong with the people, I guess, or with the book. I don't know which one you want to say it. But there's more bad things that happen to the people in this book than probably most of them that we can find. And there's a reason for that, because this is a very dark period for the people of Israel. Ezekiel lived during the days of the Babylonian conquest of this Canaan area. And so he lived when they came in, that they sacked many of the strong cities. And they took control of much of the area, and they came up to the gates of Jerusalem. And they took many of the scholars, of the masons, of the skilled workers, and they shipped them back off to their land in Babylon. Political turmoil, to say the least. But this man, who was taken as probably a teenager, so one of ours, to a land where he did not know, where they spoke a language that he did not know, but he had some kind of assets that these people saw in him as value to their own kingdom. Now, this is different than today when our children grow up and they can't find work in their home, so they move to another state to find work. I'm probably one of those. I always have the option of going home. This was not really Ezekiel's condition. He lived in a time where he was forced to do things that he didn't want to do. He was born into a priestly line. You know, he should have become a priest that worked in the temple. He was being trained and groomed for this position. But yet, he was taken away from all that. His dreams were crushed. Not only that, he was called by God to be a prophet to the people. It's not necessarily a good calling because you have to tell some very uncomfortable truths. But not only that, as Ezekiel was called to be this watchman, this prophet, this sayer, he was called to do some really strange thing. Now, would you like to lay on the ground tied up for over a year and then flip over to the other side? Or build little clay models and pretend of these invasions? I mean, little kids do that, but this is an adult. How about, would you like to bake bread over a pile of smoldering dung. Yeah, don't like that one. He did get a modifier if you read the story. It wasn't a great modifier, but it was still a modifier. 
And so now we come towards the end of Ezekiel's career. And he receives yet another vision. Now, when I say it's towards the end of his career, think about this. You were called to be a watchman, a protector of a people, so a sentry, a guard that's posted on the gate. Your duties are to warn of impending enemies coming on so that you can call your soldiers to arms, that you can tell the citizens to duck and take cover. But he was called to a thing where he had a position that may have made a difference in the life of his people. But God warned them, they have a hard heart, a heart of stone. They're not going to listen to you. And so let's look at chapter 37, starting in verse 1. It tells us this. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there was a very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. All right, so this is Ezekiel's career in a nutshell. He was called to a people. He was called to be a watchman, a prophet, one who would bring them back into the straight and narrow and bring them back in favor of God. But now this vision places him in the middle of a valley. Probably the valley that he was taken to earlier in the story. And it's full of these dried bones. A bunch of them. Looks like an army. Something defeated. Now, there are different sayings in, in the Syrian and other cultures around here about the results of what would happen if you break a covenant. So Israel was guilty of breaking a covenant, not just with God, but with some of these other superpowers at the time. And the covenant was this. If you basically back out on what you're supposed to do, we're going to deny you a proper funeral. We're going to slay you all, throw you in a field, and let the birds and the buzzards and all the wild animals have to do with you, deny even a proper funeral. vast army. This was more than what was in Jerusalem when it would fall. It was vast, full of many. This goes back hundreds of years, 130 years when the northern kingdom would fall to Assyria. A wholly different kingdom all piled up. These young fighting men spread out over the battlefield mixed up because of scavengers. This was Ezekiel's career in front of him. He was called to speak to a people so that they would avoid this. Have you ever failed in life? Think about it. Have you ever failed in your career? You know, I've been laid off because of bad economy when I was in the home building industry. You know that thing called the housing bubble? Well, if you're building houses and that thing pops, not a lot for you to do. You feel like a failure. But now this guy, taken to a valley of bones. Now that is talking about failure, isn't it? But let's keep going. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord, you know. Now, we don't get the nuances in that phrase, do we? Is that, oh Lord, you know? It could be. 
how did he say this? It's like, oh, Lord, you know, you know, this kind of powerful symbol of faith. How do you read this? It could be either way. Or was it more of a sarcastic remark? Looking at a pile of dried bones, you know there's nothing about that coming back to life. I mean, they're not even smelly corpses. We have a tradition in their religion of dead people coming back to life. But they're not bones. They have recently deceased. They still look like who they were, but just asleep. This is a pile of bones. He knows in his heart or his mind that there's no way that these bones are going to get up and do any good. We don't even know where this bone is connected to. You know, you can do that whole little song, hip bone connected to the leg bone, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's all mixed up. You don't know who belongs to what, where they ended up. And so he says, only, oh, Lord, you know. So do we think of it as a faithful plea? Lord, I don't know what you're planning here, but I think you know what you can do. He said, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and, I shall, and you shall live. And I will lay sinew upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. And this failure, this prophet who was unable to protect anyone says, so I prophesied. He continued even in the face of defeat. And those he was called to say, he still spoke. When it was obvious that he was unsuccessful in his calling, he says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on, on them, and flesh, and came upon them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Man, it's the opposite of decompo- decomposition, isn't it? Everything just started coming back together. First the bones, and then the flesh, and then the skin. But they were a zombie army, maybe? Is that what it was? A bunch of corpses standing around? Now, does this sound like the book of Genesis and the creation of Adam? So God molded this man. But Adam didn't come into existence until God breathed life into them. So he took a piece of bone and crafted Eve. So God can do it. Maybe that's here is what Ezekiel is living on. He said, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them. And they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and when raise you up from your graves, O people, And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. 
Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. It's a powerful scene. It is a powerful scene here in the book of Ezekiel. So this is a vision. So he's taken in this kind of this trance and he's moved to this valley. It's kind of a prediction of the future, but it's not predicting the future of a slain army. It is showing, it's kind of this sign action of the current state of the people of Israel. In their anguish, their theology has let them down. Now, I'm not talking about the theology of the Old Testament. I'm talking about the theology of the people. Let's say the folk religion of the land. So this is a people of God. They have God, they have the temple, and all this is crashing down. There's kind of this prosperity gospel, even in the Old Testament, that one can glean if you want to. It's about doing right and good things to happen to you. Doing wrong and bad things happen to you. Well, when that's your theology, and you don't have a bigger picture of God's plan, when things go bad, everything goes bad. When you don't have a faith that's built on a foundation of what God really is, but about a God who does good things for you because he likes you, I mean, that's what you do in elementary school to that little girl you're trying to say, check yes or no. I mean, you give her a piece of bubble gum because you like her. Maybe you slip her an answer or two on a test because you like her. I mean, we've probably all been there. But this was basically the theology of the Israelites. If good things happen to me, it's because God likes me. You know, I guess I must be doing just fine. But they weren't. They had missed it. God had blessed them, had given them a strong economy. But their leaders abused the poor. They were called to be a people where it was equal. This kind of utopian society where they had a king that protected them with military might and all this kind of stuff, but an economy that would make them strong. But in the strong economy, they had laws in their books about tending to aliens and outsiders and the poor and the widows. And there were statutes on what limitations lawsuits could bring. It was built into their fabric. If somebody was low in your society, you lift them up. You protect them. If someone was helpless, you didn't leave them defenseless. But that's not how they lived their lives. The rich took it into their account that I am being blessed because I am right in the eyes of God. And so all this wealth that I've acquired it's mine to do with how I please. But that never was the calling of God's people. The calling of blessing was a calling to help out those who were in need. And so they missed it. And so when God finally had enough, and the point of no return was crossed. It's like that movie, Back to the Future. You know that one where they're in the Old West? You like that one? And they got their time machine on the railroad tracks. And they said, as long as we don't cross that, we can, you know, save the train. But they cross it, don't they? And that train crashes. An old dock is stuck back in the Old West. Never to be seen again. 
So Marty thought. But the people of God, they'd finally crossed that limit because God is a holy God and a just God. And he cannot stand for a corrupt people. And so when they had finally gone too far, he delivered prophets to them to share a word. And they had a hard task. They were probably some of the few righteous ones in the society. And they were called to call the people to their corruptions against the leaders, against your neighbors, against others all around you. But God said, they're not going to listen. Their hearts are too hard. But I will one day give them hearts of flesh. And my word will live in their hearts. All these words come from this book. But these visions are based on a bit of reality. This vision of the bones are not empty visions. Because he may have seen some of these as they marched him out of his homeland, those Babylonians. I wonder if he crossed some of these valleys scattered with bones. He knew how his neighbors to the north, that northern kingdom, fell. And they were scattered. There was not even a remnant left. But these visions are based on a touch of reality. We talk about end times and and how God's going to return. And Armageddon, have you heard of this term? That's not just a crazy word pulled out of the air. It's based on a real place. The mountain of Megiddo, Arm. means mountain. So Mount Megiddo. It is a place where the Israelites have faced many battles. Battles between them and the Egyptians, Assyrians, because this was a key strategic military point. It was a meeting grounds. And that's how the book of Revelations describes the end times, how the war is going to come about. This is not a spiritual place removed from us. This is a real place, a place on earth, a place people have walked, bled, and died. That is how these visions are described. And so this watchman, this prophet, this failure to his call is now set over a valley where his words were not listened to, where he did not change a thing. You know, I kind of wonder, this young Ezekiel, When he was called to God, do you really think he thought he was going to be a failure? You know, God said he wouldn't listen. But when we're young, sometimes we say, well, you know, he says they're not going to, but I bet I can do it. I bet I can change them. I bet I can be the one that brings them back. But now this Ezekiel on the other end of life, he now realizes that God was right. That he, they would not listen. That the people would be this valley of dry bones. So God even tells them, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Say, don't think these are another group. This is your people. This is who you were called to be watchmen over. This is how they feel. They've lost everything. Those that survived are now away from their home. And those who remained in their home are under the oppressive hand of a foreign ruler. 
mean, think about it. Think of a place where you take all the craftsmen, all the technicians, all the leaders, and leave it with just the scrubs, the remainder. How do you think their rebuilding process is going to go? You know those ones that never really amounted to anything in life? They are the ones to take care of your homeland. You think it's going to improve? Well, you're right, it didn't. It just got worse. A garden without a gardener is not much of a garden, is it? And so this is the whole house. This is the whole house of Israel. It says our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. And so God knew that to truly have the people believe, they had to hit rock bottom. They had to be at the bottom so that they could see, look up. Because what's the saying? Once you hit the bottom, there's nowhere else to go but up. That's where they were. And God was ready for them to turn and look upon him. Because in this chapter, it promises hope. Promises the resurrection of a people group. Of a whole country will be brought back. It will be a great ordeal. Rattling bones, sinew on sinew, flesh on flesh, skin on that. But God will do it because he is faithful. In this book of Ezekiel, Israel is not just the only one in focus here. So if you read through these oracles, these visions of judgment, of a holy God judging a corrupt people, we see that in them, Israel is the center. The surrounding nations to the side, and ultimately the whole world. So if you picture this as an archer's target with a bullseye. Israel is indeed the center, but the rings spread out far further than them. And so in this story, we find parables, an allegory, these crazy sign, auction, sign actions. Ezekiel even becomes a lawyer and puts them on trial because they believe they were innocent. And so he had to prove them guilty. We see a lot of judgment. No one wants to have judgment. No one wants to be judged, do they? It says, you know, we don't judge other people. We want justice, don't we? If something has been done wrong to you, you want justice. But you don't want justice on you for someone else. But God is a holy God. And he requires justice because he loves each and every one of his creation. So if justice reigns from God, it's going to call each and every one of us to an account. An account that we cannot pay. Account that we cannot cover up with this life. And so as this story ties back into the image of creation... But just like in creation, he didn't completely wipe these people off the face of the earth. But he rebuilt from a remnant. From a valley of bones, he put them back together.
So where do you see yourself here? Perhaps you are that proud young military man marching off to war, assured of your victory, only to end up on the floor of a valley. Sometimes we're like that. We don't think we need a savior because we're our own savior. Perhaps you're like Ezekiel. You've been faithful your entire life. Seems like the journey is almost over and there's nothing to show for it. Do you give up? Do you just say it's not worth it? It's not working anymore, so why bother? Or do you prophesy over a valley of bones and say, Lord, I don't know what you have in store here, but I've been faithful to you all the days of my life. I'm not going to change now. Maybe you're just like the people. Hearts of stone. You're not willing to listen. You've made up your mind and you know all the answers. You know everything there is about God and God doesn't like you. He's just a big angry person in the sky with a rod ready to strike me. Is that it? If that's what you think of God, you've missed the point on this. But because God is holy... He cannot have an unholy people in his midst. But he can send people to where you are to bring you into his presence. And he has done that in Jesus Christ. There is no place you can go where Jesus cannot find you. There is nothing you can do that Jesus cannot forgive. You are not too far gone to be saved. But you have to open up your heart. You have to lift up your head. And you have to pray to Jesus that he would forgive you and that he would touch you and that he would bring you in the presence of the Father so that you may be his people once again. That he brings your bones together. That he strengthens your muscles. That he covers you in skin. But above all, that he breathes his life into you. For the dead cannot live, but only those who have the breath of God in their life. Please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your words of Scripture. Lord, they teach us that we don't know your ways. They teach us that no one is beyond being saved. So that even if our life feels like a dried up bones and that there's no help left for us in this world, you call us and you have a plan. You have a plan to bring us into a land and to rebuild us and to make us into a mighty kingdom. But we have to give you room to do that. Lord, I pray that if there is someone here today that has a heart of stone, I pray that you soften it. 
I pray that you open them up to the goodness of this life and a life that is lived with the Redeemer of the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that feels like they're just too far gone, this people that you called, that you set apart, they seem too far gone. Their homeland was destroyed. They were scattered, but yet you brought them back to be your people. You gave them the land. You gave them back your temple. Not for them, but for us. So that we may see Jesus. That we may have these words of prophecy. That we know from the beginning of time, you loved us. And you knew our name. And you want a relationship with us. Lord, I pray for those today that are hurting. That they don't know what direction you will have for them. That you come to them. And that your will will be spread all over them so that they may know a future. It may be uncertain. But you know. You know what you are going to do. Let us trust in your hope and in your salvation. It is in your name we pray. Amen. And at this time, oh, we enter our time of invitation. If you've made a decision in your heart and like to make that publicly known, if you decided that First Baptist Church should be your home church and like to move your membership here, or if you're in need of prayer, please come forward at this time.